This is the iMarket Podcast, brought to you by the Marketing Society of Kenya, EABL, and Capital FM. Welcome to Season 3 of the iMarket Podcast. Our theme for this season is Leveraging Technology to Put the Customer First. In today's episode, we will be exploring e-commerce in Africa and find out if it's delivering on its promise. E-commerce is one of the digital transformation tools that has brought employment, convenience, digital literacy, and growth in the markets on our continent. However, it is not as easy as it seems when we compare to the originating markets in the U.S. So how have the e-commerce players in Africa approached it with differing models and what the success levels have been? Our guest for today is an all-women panel. We have Catherine Mudachi, Vice President of Marketing from Copia Global. Catherine is a seasoned marketing professional, having worked in the marketing field for over 25 years. Catherine has worked in B2B marketing in the UK with Pilkington Group Limited, Cowneer PLC, and FMCG firms in Kenya, such as Coca-Cola, Weetabix, and Safaricom. She is an award-winning marketer with the Marketing Society of Kenya and Advertising Practitioner Awards. Catherine is responsible for creating, shaping, and executing Copia's East Africa commercial strategy, including revenue growth modeling. She's looking forward to spearheading the growth of Copia brand into a globally renowned, life-transforming brand that serves underserved customers in Kenya and beyond. Our second guest is Grace Gifuthu, e-commerce product manager at East African Breweries Limited. Grace is an e-commerce specialist with over 10 years of experience specializing in democratization of e-commerce in Kenya and Tanzania, website optimization management, digital shelf essentials, B2B and B2C customer experience, data analysis and reporting. In addition, she is skilled at team management and exceptional product management and development. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Psychology, PR training and a wealth of experience in e-commerce, which enables her to excel in the digital space, sales, marketing, operations, and team management. Welcome to today's podcast. Today, we are privileged to have two ladies in the e-commerce space. Catherine, VP of Marketing from Copia Global, welcome. Thank you, Fiona. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. Grace, e-commerce product manager from East African Breweries Limited. Welcome. Thank you, Fiona. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. So to begin with, tell us a bit about your respective businesses, um, how long you've been around, and the segments that you serve. Catherine. Thanks, Fiona. Uh, so Copia is actually the first e-commerce company to be targeting the peri-urban and rural consumer. Copia was founded in 2013 and so as a result of that, the fact that we target a peri-urban and rural consumer means that even our product segments um, are varied across the different products and the needs that they then have. Ooh, excellent. Grace, what about EABL? The bar by EABL is uh, a flagship from the UK, Diageo Market. We are first in East Africa and we're here to deliver to our last mild consumer. This is the person who is ordering from the comfort of their house, at an event, at a pack and chill, and we are here to serve the purpose. Amazing, amazing. Now, e-commerce um, in Kenya has been around for at least 10 years, each of you launching in different times. Now, what is your take on the adoption of e-commerce in Kenya and Africa, and how have you dealt with the issues of mistrust and digital literacy? which is some of the barriers to adoption that we've seen. Grace. Thank you, Fiona. 
So in this market, we are privileged because the ICT sector is very vibrant and uh, us venturing to this e-commerce space, it means the consumer is educated, they are tech savvy. So we have plugged in into a sector where the consumer knows what they want and it's for us to serve that purpose. So in terms of mistrust at Diageo, at East African Brewery, we are able to work against that because we work with accredited distributors, very reputable and vetted retailers. So it means whatever you're ordering from us gets to you directly from the brewery through our route to market with these distributors and the retailers. Excellent. And what about uh, at Copia? How have you dealt with mistrust and digital literacy? Sure. So um, given the customer segment that we're targeting, who are probably not, you know, have barriers in terms of um, access to e-commerce. If you look at even smartphone penetration, the bottom of the pyramid, it's at circa 50% today. The way we've actually gone around the trust barrier, which is, is a critical factor, is our model actually uses agents. And currently we have a footprint of about 50,000 agents. Those agents are people in the community. So our customers know them. They're neighbors to the same customers. And therefore, they become a very critical point for the customers to be able to understand the credibility and the quality of the products that we sell. And so they become really critical partners in ensuring that we deliver the promise that we that we make to the customer. Yeah, I see a common thread here in terms of, you know, building that trust using accredited partners. Um, and I think that's a very... Uh, common thing in the African context, you know, building trust with people who uh, are recognizable in the community. The pandemic really accelerated the adoption of e-commerce, given that we had to all stay at home. Have the gains from that period maintained or have you seen a shift since then, um, Catherine? Sure. So the pandemic for Copia and given the Copia model, whereby, again, we're targeting the you know, bottom of the pyramid customer who's based in the rural areas, was a really critical pivot a point for the business. Reason being, if you remember during the pandemic, we obviously had uh, travel restrictions and so people accessing products became a bit of a challenge. Given our model that we'd been in existence already and the brand is you know, pretty well known, we were listed as one of the essential providers. And given the product range that we offer, which is everyday products mm-hmm. for our customers at a very affordable price, what that did was our customers' lifestyles were able to continue as they were given those restrictions in travel. They were still able to access the products that they needed and second to that was also the referrals because the neighbors would see you know a particular customer mm. I'm still accessing the products their everyday products um, and so what we actually saw during the pandemic was about a times two expansion in the business and uh, recruitment of customers as well and because what has happened is because of the convenience of the model and the offering that we give whereby from the comfort of your home you can shop and access products we have seen that continuation and the growth and expansion of the business and the customers who came on during the pandemic have continued to shop and benefit and access the products that they need from Copia. Mm-hmm. What about EABL? Have you um, seen like, sustained uh, gains or shifts have happened since then? So echoing what Catherine has said, there has been gains. For us, when it accelerated our entry into the e-commerce space, and uh, we launched, and now the channel has become a synergized way of getting to our consumers through the many channels that we have in the business. And uh, e-commerce is now one of the robust channels that delivers our holistic strategy as East Africa breweries. So the gains are plenty, and we've been able even to quadruple uh, the revenue we're getting from this one channel, and uh, it's also to deliver the holistic strategy of East African breweries jointly with all the channels. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, that's really, really impressive. 
But as we know, there are you know, a lot of barriers to you know, thriving e-commerce environment. And um, UNCTAD, uh, the UN Conference for Trade and Development, released a report in 2021 called the E-Readiness Assessment. This is a report that was commissioned by the Kenya government to assess Kenya's readiness against seven key policy areas. Um, the seven policy areas were e-commerce strategy formulation, ICT infrastructure and services, trade logistics and trade facilitation, payment solutions, the legal and regulatory frameworks, e-commerce skills development, and access to financing. How do you think we're faring on these seven key policy areas and what still needs to be addressed to create a thriving e-commerce environment? Catherine, what's your take? Sure. So the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development report has been really, really insightful and an eye-opener in terms of access to information. One of the points that the report actually calls out is that Kenya is the ATA 8th fastest growing e-commerce market globally. In Africa, we're actually ranked fourth. Mm. The other thing that it clearly calls out is, you know, in 2020, we were actually the trailblazers in Africa Mm. with 13 new e-commerce businesses actually being established in the region. So really, really great insights. It even helped further to talk about what is the revenue that's being generated from those companies, which is actually in the range of 3.6 billion US dollars that expected to Mm. be generated from those particular 13 companies. So I think as a continent, we're making great, great headway in actually increasing our e-commerce footprint, but we still have challenges. One of the challenges, for instance, is around our internet penetration, internet growth. So currently, for instance, in Kenya, internet penetration is said to be from a report that Statistica did is approximately about 44%. Mm -hmm. If you look at that from a global perspective, penetration of internet is more in the 66%, so about 20 percentage point Mm -hmm. difference. So great work being done, but I think we need to accelerate that if we're really going to get the benefits of Mm -hmm. e-commerce and what e-commerce does and what it can contribute to our actual GDP. I think the areas that maybe we, you know, as a government and the respective bodies need to really um, look at and really need to address, one is the whole... you know, strategy governance around e-commerce. The report clearly also points out today we do not have an e-commerce strategy that exists as a, as a nation. So mm-hmm. a huge opportunity, I think, for more understanding around e-commerce. What are the benefits to the, the citizens of the country? What does it mean and how can it contribute to GDP? Mm-hmm. Opportunity as well for laws and governance. If I think about consumers, and this is where a lot of mistrust comes from a consumer perspective, if I'm going to use my money, which I've worked hard to earn, Mm -hmm. and shop in e-commerce, what are the channels I have for any complaints, any issues, refunds that I need to actually process? A lot of that is not clearly defined yet, Mm -hmm. and customers don't have a lot of information around it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's something that we can all work towards, um, Mm -hmm. us who are players in the e-commerce and partner with government Mm -hmm. to really, you know, unlock some of those opportunities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll delve into a few more of those um, aspects as well actually you know thinking about last mile delivery which is a really key aspect to delivering on the promise of e-commerce it's a key enabler for driving convenience does africa have an advantage you know through our border border networks or what we call uh, our motorcycle networks or are we at a disadvantage because of a lack of mapped out addresses what's your take grace 
Yes, Africa is uh, at a great advantage. Uh, one, uh, for us as a business, uh, it has helped us to cut costs because we plugged in through third party, very good third party partners. So we are able to use an already existing company whose core business is last mile to deliver to our consumers. Mm-hmm. And also with this synergy, we are able to get uh, to grow our business faster with also uh, low cost and also having people who are in that business whose their core business is in delivery to deliver to our consumers and uh, with that we've been able to have the widest coverage in Kenya. Mm, excellent, excellent. What about for your business at Copia? Fiona, for us it's an everyday reality <laughs> because we are targeting customers who are in the upcountry rural areas. Mm-hmm. So we come off tarmac roads, we come off graded roads, yeah. you know, we're going on, you know, off, off, off grid, off yeah. grid roads. Yeah. And so delivering to customers, we don't have addresses and obviously how do we then leverage the motorcycle associations? Because if you think about it also, it's a really great avenue in terms of employment. Mm-hmm. And so what we've actually done is work a lot and especially during the weather when it's raining, where access becomes a challenge, you actually find the community even comes together and actually gets even those motorcycle circles and members to work together with us mm-hmm. so that they can come and reach the vehicle where it's stuck, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the off-grid road mm-hmm. and actually then still access their products. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's been a huge opportunity and, and obviously then ensuring that it's also an employment avenue for people to start their, their businesses mm-hmm. using a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Nice. I love that. I love that. I love where, how we are leveraging, you know, even though we may not have the typical, you know, e-commerce environment, we've leveraged on what is unique to our continent, which is the motorcycle network. Now, given e-commerce is driven heavily by technology and data, what sort of data are you using to improve customer experiences? And what will be the role of, you know, first party, second party and third party data in delivering enhanced consumer experiences? Grace. For us, the Babay EABL, we have quick access to first-party data. We also have, because of the partnership, we have second-party data and third-party data. So with this data, we've been able now to understand our consumers' personas, to craft campaigns that are within what we have discovered through insights, and also to have personalized experience of our consumers. So for us, we are making this transactional data our everyday currency to actualize our vision and mission. What about for you at Copia? Yeah, so just to echo Grace's sentiments, the data today, you, you cannot run a successful, relevant business without data mm-hmm. and without understanding what the customer is saying. It doesn't matter how fantastic your product is. You need the data first to understand what is the opportunity that exists in the market. So at Copia, we leverage first-party data, a lot of data that we have because of the fact that it's e-commerce, so you're able to access exactly what customers are buying, mm-hmm. understand their be- purchase behaviors, understand the motivation behind those patterns as well. The other important way as well is the two-way data. So it's not just us using the data, but also the customer giving them a portal where they can share feedback, they can share mm-hmm. information with Copia, and we're then able to ensure that we quickly turn that data into action yeah. and ensure that we've then got either products that they're asking us for if there's any issues on the prices that we've set for products they're able to then also give us that information mm-hmm. maybe i'd like to take that question a bit further you know what are some of the trends that you've seen with this data that are informing your business strategies and so on yes some of the trends we've seen is uh 
the consumers changing their brand loyalty. We've seen uh, the change in the economic uh, status and most people now are spending less. So what we are doing uh, in our execution strategies, like uh, it's only the bar that offers you free delivery. So it means instead of you spending more, on top of giving you the recommended retail price for the product that you used to buy, we are going ahead and also ensuring that the drink is getting to you free of charge. So these insights are coming with the choices. You see someone now who was aspiring to buy this drink has now went and uh, started purchasing another product that is of a different level. So we are telling the consumer your brand is still affordable, your brand gets to you free of charge and from inside, this is where we are able to see the shift. When you change from ordering, for example, Johnny Walker Green, and now you are going to another brand of whiskey, mm-hmm. we are able to know and also craft a campaign to show you uh, you can still access your product at a very good price, RRP, and it will get to you free of charge. Mm-hmm. So thanks to data, we are able to see that and also craft a way to turn it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. You're starting to, you know... Uh, touch on the personalization side yes. of things yeah. um, which we'll definitely delve into on your side on Copia you know, maybe an example of how you're using the data to drive better experience for your product for your uh, customers sure two things I can touch on the first one is actually also data and here it's more your you know third second party third party data actually informing your geographical footprint and your geographical coverage and where are the opportunity markets mm-hmm. so very critical because then you're and also understanding you know what are they buying in that area what's important to those customers so that even as you enter that market then you're being very relevant with your presence in that market and you're answering to that customer need the second way that for us it's really helped us from a customer experience perspective and because we use agents is we've enabled agents to be able to give us live information on product prices because again we can't be in 50,000 places at the same time Mm -hmm. and to actually then even understand regional pricing differences that are existing in different markets and that has really then enabled us to be able to have the right regional level of pricing, right regional level of product relevance, product mm-hmm. offering mm-hmm. to people in different markets, um, which has been really, really transformational for us. Mm, I love that. I love that. I think data has really enabled brands to serve the consumer with what they need at the time that they want. It's a really exciting time to be alive. And, you know, just to flow on that same point, you know, digital commerce is giving consumers more choice, increased convenience and improved shopping experiences, as you've just mentioned. The growth in online shopping is now driven by responsible use of data. Again, we've talked about a lot of data being generated, which builds loyalty and retains shoppers. So how are you balancing between personalization and privacy for your consumers? Grace. Right, so uh, data privacy and data security, it informs what the consumer is expecting when they come to your website. For us at EABL1, we adhere to the Diageo Code of Ethic. So whatever data we are asking the consumer to share, one, there is consent. Two, we ensure that it's very minimal. So any solution or any application that we are rolling out to the public, it has to go through privacy impact assessment. Mm -hmm. We assess, is it infringing into your rights? Mm -hmm. And we also adhering to the Data Protection Act. So Diageo Code of Ethics ensures that whatever information we get from our consumers is very minimal and it's only necessary to ensure that we are able to cater to your experience and uh, give you an application that takes you through ordering our brands and also just serving the purpose of ordering through our e-commerce uh, platform only. Mm. 
Amazing, amazing. Mm -hmm. What about Acopia? How are you balancing personalization and privacy? Yeah, I think just to add on to what Grace has already covered, it's um, also about how you keep the customer data that you have, who has access to that data, how you, um, you know, warehousing that data, which is also very, very critical. And then also just holding the bare minimum that mm -hmm. is required. I think that's also critical. And actually, I do encourage Kenyans to really be aware of their rights when it comes to data and data protection, because I think we're going to see a huge shift in it. And so the other thing that we've also been doing is being very proactive just to ensure that we are working with the Kenya data protection body that has been formed mm -hmm. because it's a journey. It's a journey that's, I think, new to many of us. And so it's really around how do you partner with them so that they understand what data you're holding and they're giving you the day-to-day -day advice so that you, we can be compliant. Mm, absolutely. And I guess this also just ties back, you know, to that whole trust factor. You yes. know, this is another level of building trust yeah. with um, your consumers. Absolutely, yeah. Given e-commerce is driven heavily by technology and data, what sort of data are you using to improve the customer experience? What is the role of first-party data, data which you gather straight from your consumers, or second-party data, which is data you gather from partners who you uh, partner with to do events, or third-party data, which is anonymized data like cookie data and so on? Um, how do you use these different types of data to enhance consumer experiences? Grace. For us, we use actually the three, the first party, second party and third party data. When the first party data, we're able to know if you move from your location, we're able to tell what time you order from the bar, we're able to know the peak times for all our consumers. We are also able to craft a campaign based on seasons. You could see during uh, weekends, people order, especially during Edmonds, you'll be able to tell they order high value products because also they, it means they have money in their pocket. Mid-month, we're able to craft a campaign to cater to you based on your spend within that time of the month. So for us, we leverage every campaign we use the data to drive the experience towards this uh, consumer. So for us, the first party data, second party data, the third party data, we leverage on it and we are able to even capitalize on these insights that we get to tailor your experience uh, through the bar. What about for you at Copia? Sure. And, and I think it's important also to say that letting the customer opt in to actually having their data being used is mm -hmm, critical mm -hmm. the uh, in step. the age, the, in the first step in the age that we you know where we are today in terms of consumer protectionism. Mm -hmm. At Copia as well, we certainly leverage on first party data, the data that we collect that comes through from transactions. So just as an example, a customer who buys a bag of flour, we are able to see how many pieces of flour are they buying? When are they actually making that purchase? How much are they spending when they make that purchase? And we're able to then see if that's what they did last month in the following month, what has actually, you know, does that uh, same pattern continue or does it change? And the reason that's important is because some of the information that we've been able to pick up from first party data, when we've either seen a change in their purchase behavior, has actually helped us identify an insight that is linked to regional pricing and also product preference. So I'll give you an example. We actually know today because of that type of data, there's a bar soap called Kibuyu bar soap that is very popular in the western part of the country. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we were to offer our customers in central Kenya Kibuyu, they've got no idea what that product is because mm -hmm. it's not a product that's sold in that part of the country. Mm -hmm. So we're very clear in that part of the country, it is Jama bar soap. It is classic bar soap. And it, we're also able to then price it mm -hmm. at a price point that is relevant to the consumer. Mm -hmm. Amazing. 
do you have any uh, specific examples as well of how you've you know, crafted a product or campaign, as you mentioned earlier, maybe a specific example of that as well. Yes, and this is coming at a time where right now we are very keen on what we are spending on as consumers, including ourselves. So you'll find uh, we have aspirational consumers. This is someone who has been aspiring to order a bottle of Singleton, but they cannot afford it. So we come in and uh, we as the bar, we're able to facilitate you to afford. And it means we're able to give you a recommended retail pricing and also as the business, as East African Brewery, we cater the delivery to your doorstep. So we do not leave you in the aspirational gap. We bring you to affording that drink. I love that. I love that. And you're, you know, moving towards that, you know, personalized experiences for your consumers based on the data and the trends that you're seeing. Um, and consumers want more choice. They want convenience and they want improved shopping experiences. So how are you ensuring to balance, you know, this need of personalization and also privacy in your prospective businesses? Grace? When for us at East Africa Brewery, we are governed and we adhere to the Diageo Code of Ethics. This means the data that we get from you, it's very minimal. For example, for the bar, we only need to know where you live. We need to know uh, your name. We need your mobile number because this will be used to process the payment. So the details that we have or we ask uh, from our consumers, they are only for order processing. Another thing, we have a way of cleansing this data. There is a certain limit to where, how long we can store your data. And it's only used purposely for order processing. What about at Copia? How are you balancing privacy and personalization? Yeah. So as mentioned, number one is they've got to opt in. Mm -hmm. They've got to tell you that they, you know, that if whatever data you're collecting, mm -hmm. they um, want, to give, they want to, to give it to you. And to be very specific, mm -hmm. it actually says for promotional and marketing purposes, mm -hmm. if you're going to do that. Similar to uh, what Grace has said, we also collect minimal data. It's simply the data that's required to enable an order to go through. So when a customer places an order, we need their mobile number because that's also how we communicate back to them. Confirmation of the order, confirmation of their payment mm -hmm. as well when mm -hmm. it comes through. Second to that is also just the physical address because that's we ensure that that is linked to where the agent is, who is there, the collection point mm -hmm. for their order. So we don't actually have anything beyond that. Mm -hmm. Everything else is simply through data analytics of the data that we have mm -hmm. to then establish any other patterns that would be useful to then give that customer a personalized experience. Yeah, and I think that really goes a long way in building that trust that we talked about about earlier, you know, mistrust has always been a barrier to adoption of e-commerce yes. and when you let the consumer know why am I getting your data yeah. and asking them to give you the consent to actually use the data um, is really key in this uh, data-driven industry that we're in. Mm. Now, um, mobile money accessibility has accelerated growth of African economies. What opportunities or challenges do you see exist here in regard to e-commerce when it comes to mobile money accessibility? How do you see it, Catherine? Uh, for me, for us at Copia, it's king. If, again, we go back to the Copia customer who is bottom of the pyramid based in rural ge geographies, one of the payment solutions, and, and by the way, these customers, you know, majority of them are also unbanked. So they don't have a bank account where they're actually going to go and access money. But the mobile money has a lot of trust. They know that their money is safe through mobile money. And actually, that is the only way that a customer can pay mm -hmm. for copier products. It's via mobile money. So for us, it's been king in terms of the business, in terms of growing trust in our model, because then there's no cash, you know, cash going from hand to hand. Once they pay, that, that they know that that payment has come through to copier and they get the confirmation message 
back on their on their phone. So for us, mobile money has been a great um, enabler to penetrate the market. Mm. What about at EABL? Mobile money accessibility changed the game. Similar to Copia, it's uh, an enabler because we have a prepayment business model. Every order that comes to us is prepaid for and mobile money has facilitated that. And also we've been able to target the unbanked uh, people like Catherine has mentioned. So it means it comes with financial inclusion and for us, in being in e-commerce, the unbanked are also now part of our consumer base because they just need mobile money to have their orders processed or paid for mm. that's really you know really addressing a lot of those barriers we've talked about trust we've talked about you know digital literacy talking about uh, mobile money and access to financing now i want to delve a little bit deeper to your respective businesses um, you know we've looked at e-commerce at a macro level across the country and so on now copia's model of e-commerce is quite unique um, i'd really love for you to tell us you know what led you to this model and how has it worked um, maybe you can delve a little bit deeper into that Sure. So I guess I always say the first place to start is what is the opportunity? And if I just give you some highlights in terms of what were the sparks behind the copier model, if you look at Africa at large, we are a population of about 1.4 billion. 800 million of that 1.4 billion mm-hmm. are actually people who live in peri-urban and rural areas. Mm-hmm. When you look at what are they spending in terms of on retail, it's actually in the range of $680 billion. So they are spending the money. What they don't have is access to the same retail opportunities that you and I or people who live in an urban location have. So they still have the aspiration. They still want to access the same products that we do, but they've obviously got those barriers to access. I think the second thing, if you also look at this same customer base and even Africa at large, our internet penetration has grown. Currently, a report statistic did talks about internet penetration being at circa 44%. Great strides, great growth, but we're still behind the global average, which Mm -hmm. is around 60%. Mm -hmm. So again, these are not people who necessarily have access to the internet and can therefore, you know, make quick transactions or get access to the variety of products Mm -hmm. that we know they want. Mm -hmm. I think third uh, is also the whole point that, as mentioned earlier, they're unbanked. So again, they're keeping money, you know, mobile. They're, they're very comfortable with mobile money, but they simply don't have access to the products. If they are to the closest access they have for our customer is somebody leaving their day-to-day farming activity or their shop or their, their hardware store, looking for money to jump onto um, public means transport, get to the closest city, hope they'll find the product they want. If they do, great. If not then they've got to look for money to travel back, right? And Mm. remember, this is a customer who is very, very wallet sensitive, price Mm -hmm. sensitive. Mm -hmm. So a 10 shilling, a $1 to them goes a long way. And so those are some of the insights which then led to the copier model. I think the other thing to add to that is the fact that, and we talked about it, there are no addresses, right? There's no quick GPS location of a customer. And so as a result, that's been actually a big barrier for a lot of formal retail to actually go in and, and actually address that market. So the opportunity was there and now it was really just around copier establishing you know data driven root op- using root optimization um, tools to then be able to access that market and um, copier has been bold enough to do it and so far so good we're, we're, we're loving it yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah. you're 10 years in right? we're 10 years in this yeah. is year 10 amazing <laughs> yeah well the same you know the same uh, breath you know Diageo as well um, you're African distribution model is heavily dependent on on trade, which is you know selling through bars and venues and so on. Um, but there was a shift onto on trade, onto off trade, which was e-commerce. What led to that? Um, what catalyzed that? So I would say e-commerce was part of the vision of the company to have an additional channel or a route to market to our consumers. Remember, it's all about convenience. 
you cannot uh, talk about convenience without having e-commerce as part of your business. So we have on-trade, we have off-trade where e-commerce comes in. And also it was in the vision of digitizing all the cash and carries or what we call wines and spirits that you see out there. Mm -hmm. So as part of the business, we needed them to reach more consumers, not just uh, through their physical locations. And we automated their outlets as part of growing that off-trade channel. And also it means that now having a holistic strategy, what has been in the on-trade uh, channel is now uh, accessible through the e-commerce platform. That is k.theba.com. Mm. So it was just synergizing and having a holistic strategy with different touch points in the route to market to all our consumers. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and we'll get to that, you know, your omni-channel approach. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely delve into that um, a bit more as well. And with Copia, you know, last year you launched the farming division, um, which provides a range of services and products, including advisory to farmers. You know, what data led you to form this division? And what other opportunities do you see that e-commerce players can venture into, into complementary services that, you know, complement the core business? Sure. If you look at um, not just Kenya, Africa today, um, about 60% of agricultural land is actually small-scale farmers. When we look at our customer base, 90% of our customers are actually small-scale farmers. Therefore, it actually was a natural value-add service mm -hmm. to these farmers because some of the insights we had were they were not getting the yield that they wanted from their farms. They were struggling to access some of the input, farm input products, mm -hmm. fertilizer, especially the government-subsidized products. So number three, entrepreneurial. They did not have the entrepreneurial uh, skill set or knowledge mm -hmm. as to how can they increase what their earnings from their yield. And so, you know, as part of the knowledge which we had and the access and the resources, we then mobilized that and decided to set up the farming division. One, to give them access to those inputs. Two, to ensure that they were increasing their entrepreneurial knowledge. Mm -hmm. How? What should I be planting? Even that knowledge mm -hmm. was not necessarily there. We also helped them with information around the, the changing rain patterns as well so that they know when to plant. And then lastly, the access to the tools that they need to obviously get the yield that they want. The other opportunities that we have since leveraged mm -hmm. has actually been around smartphone financing mm -hmm. as an example. So the aspiration is there and that's where we're seeing this really fast penetration of smartphone even at the, low, you know, the bottom of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, accessibility has helped in terms of price points for phones. But the problem is that initial capital onset. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually doing a lot of work with partners on smartphone financing and as also medical insurance. Oh, wow. Again, That's so different. educating and using partners who are in medical insurance mm -hmm. to have products which are affordable that, you know, someone can have a, a payment plan but ensure that when my child falls sick then I actually have I don't have to look for cash mm -hmm. and start looking for you know put, putting money together but actually I've got an insurance policy that I can use so a lot of opportunities um, mm -hmm. when it comes to our customer segment I love that you know uh, growing what's your you know on the footprint you already have and what mm -hmm. complementary products can you give to your consumers to again you know meet their needs um, and meet them where they're at in the same breath you know the bar recently launched the soiree which is a game-changing product in the market. Walk us through, you know, the rationale around this and what data led to, you know, launching this product. Yes, the soiree, our game changers. So this is us bringing you the whole experience, the agile experience. We are in the business of 
entertainment and giving you the best brands in the world. So why can't we show you how to serve them at the comfort of your home, at your event? We are part of your most important events in life, weddings, anniversaries, birthdays. And on top of that, we want to show you even how to serve these drinks. We are not just selling. We want to deliver the whole experience. And um, we've seen uh, this with executing these parties. We're able to show you this is how you serve our drinks. And on top of that, we don't just drink the drinks. We bring you a DJ. Yes. Wow. Yes. We are part <laughs> of package. the full package. You get a DJ. Yeah. You get drinks worth a certain uh, amount of price from mm-hmm. as minimum as 20000 You get a party. Mm-hmm. So we just sit back and we handle everything from the execution. And EABL is going above and beyond bringing the mixers. We want to show you how to serve these drinks. Mm-hmm. So you're not just purchasing. Mm-hmm. We have add-ons. So this value adds to make your party very good and also memorable to your guests. So you get the bar set up. We show you how to serve these drinks by having our very seasoned mixologist at your event. Mm -hmm. And you will not forget how to serve our drinks once we have come to your party. Yeah. Yeah, yes, I love it. You guys really love your consumers. And we you know your do. Consumers. We do. They are at our heart, at the heart of our execution. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we are consumer first. Excellent, mm. excellent. I also wanted to just touch on you know the private label that Copia has been running, the selling packaging rice and sugar. You know, again, I'm sure this is a product uh, data led decision. Why go into this business, and how has it enhanced the customer experience? So, if you look at the products that we've chosen to go into private label. Again, it's the everyday products. And the reason, the insight behind it is a couple of things. One is the products that customers need every day to survive. Mm -hmm. Two, we also are very much aware of the final price. I talked about regional pricing. The final price that product would be landing to the customer, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we looked at and we said, if we are actually able to acquire that product you know, in, in at a wholesale scale mm-hmm. and repackage it ourselves, we can actually land that product to the customer at a significantly lower price. Mm-hmm. And that was the rationale. And so today we sell copier uh, rice, mm-hmm. uh, private label, uh, about over 10% cheaper than what you'd get in terms of competitor brands. Mm-hmm. We have, um, we actually sell copier and dengue, copier and jahe, which are the pulses mm-hmm. or the grains mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And then we also sell copier sugar. Mm-hmm. And it was simply customer led yeah. in terms of how do we make these products affordable, Mm -hmm. accessible to the end customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. So, Grace, has Diageo prioritized direct-to-consumer model, you know, where EABL is selling directly to consumers rather than, you know, using online retailers or third parties? How easy or hard has it been to pivot to this direct-to-consumer model? And do you have any tips for other brands that are looking to get into the direct-to-consumer model? For East African breweries, I wouldn't say we have prioritized DTC because we've equally prioritized both route to consumer, the DTC and B2C, because it means if you prioritize one as opposed to the other, you are losing an opportunity to accelerate your business. So they are equally prioritized by the business. And uh, from this, the tips would give to new brands that are looking forward to launching is first you launch to a niche market, the new innovation, you test, you gain insights, listen to the consumer. Because if you launch directly 
directly to the consumer without testing, without knowing what does the consumer want. For example, we are living in an age where uh, Gen Z are now part of our consumers and uh, they've been conditioned to taking flavored things mm-hmm. from medicine to even uh, what you used to take as a baby. Everything has flavor. Everything has flavor. Mm-hmm. And as Diageo now, we are listening to these new acquired consumers and we have been testing our new product through a niche market. You listen, you go back, you redo until you get it right. So just test fast and listen to the consumer because there are so many ch- choices out there, many alternatives and you want consumers to love your brand and also be buying from you every day, uh, drive repeat purchases, but you cannot do this if you just go directly to through DTC. So both channels need to be equally prioritized and listen to this consumer and action the recommendations that they give before any launch of new brands. Mm. Yeah, which, you know, you've touched on it already, you know, it's not just about using one channel, but using several channels, you know, a more omni-channel approach. So, you know, are you employing an omni-channel approach? I think you've already addressed that, but tell us a bit more about how you're leveraging an omni-channel approach to improve your shopper experience? When it comes to our outlook, we see every channel as part of a whole. E-commerce is part of the larger business mission and also it means every channel is executing the holistic East African Breweries uh, strategy. So if I go to on-trade as a consumer, I'll get the same experience. So across all channels, be it e-commerce, be it on-trade, this is where I go to the bars, our off-trade, these are also part of the supermarket where you can buy your drink, part of the wine and spirit that is near uh, your home or any location out there. You're able to get the same similar, seamless experience as a consumer. So we are able to act and also uh, deliver the same experience by being a whole, I'll say a part of the larger channel. So that's how we're able to execute our omni-channel strategy. Maybe give us a a specific example when you say the same experience yes, when I go yeah. to on trade and off trade and so on what does a similar experience look like so this comes especially in the activities that we are running the promotion right now if you go to kade or the bar.com you want to get let's say a johnny walker that is coming with a merchandise if you go to a supermarket or what we call our take-home trade you'll get the same promotion at that supermarket mm-hmm. if you go to the bar you'll get a promotion tailored for johnny walker so mm-hmm. all activities that we are running are done across all the channels. So no siloid promotions or activities. Mm-hmm. Everything is seamless and accessible at any channel that you want to go through as a shopper or as a consumer. Mm, excellent, excellent. Yeah, for sure. Consumers want the same experience. Yes. They want to feel yeah. the same way with the brand yeah. and experience a brand in the same way. Um, what about for Copia? You know, are you? How are you um, employing an omni-channel approach? to improve your shopper experiences. So at Copia, again, given the target market that we have, it's really around omni-channel, but simplification. And I can't overstate it. Simple reason being what someone might call, what a different sector might call old school marketing, which is SMS marketing, is still very critical for us as a brand. Mm -hmm. However, we also know that that same customer who will receive SMS communication, when they want to check a price for a product or they see get a promotion message, so similar to a 
and Grace was talking about, will go on our on our app or on our website mm-hmm. just to validate the price and even see the product. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important that whatever messaging you're pushing and giving the example I just gave of the SMS is the same communication that you would see on our um, website that you would also get on, on the app mm-hmm. for a customer who is using the different channels to access our products. Yeah. And I'll add a follow-on to that. How easy or difficult is it to execute an omni-channel approach? I wouldn't say it's difficult. Before executing this strategy, all channels are aligned to what you want to achieve. So it just now comes down to cascading the same through the shopper journeys. So you get it right at the execution of that strategy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. yes, and then channel it down. And then you channel it down, cascade it to everyone in your pipeline, anyone in that route to market, and make them understand this is what we want to achieve, this is the experience we want our consumers to have, mm-hmm. and it has to be similar. Despite the option that the consumers goes for, it has to be the same. Mm-hmm. What about on your end? How easy or hard is it to maintain that omnichannel approach? So fully agree. It's, it's in the planning. It's in the planning and the cross-functional collaboration and therefore making sure there's a process in terms of you know ownership so that the responsibilities that for execution everyone is aligned in mm-hmm. terms of when it comes to the planning of and on all this is is based on you know forward thought calendars that are put in place mm-hmm. so that there's seamless execution at the end of the day yeah one point of reference. One point of reference. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much, ladies. We've come to, you know, the end of this amazing episode. So, you know, we'll have a couple of final questions to wrap this all up. You know, we've talked a lot about data and there's, you know, a renewed focus on data. So, you know, what stage of maturity are we at in Africa when it comes to data collection, consumer understanding, optimization and management? You know, we've talked a lot about those things, but just as a summary, what stage of maturity are we at? I think that's a very interesting question. I personally think different sectors are at different stages of maturity. If I backtrack a little bit, it actually also goes back to our infrastructure as well. So when I reference the United Nations Conference uh, on Trade and Development report, mm-hmm. a, a key takeout from that report was what is our government doing around accelerating the access? And actually, our government actually has a, a mission to actually have 4G across Kenya, mm-hmm. uh, right? So some of these great initiatives are going to be the let me say the transformational point Mm -hmm. in terms of also how easy it is for sectors to access data. Now the reason I say I think different sectors are different points Mm -hmm. is just simply because different sectors have the because I think it does take resources to access the data, Mm -hmm. to be able to analyze that data, to be able to manipulate that data and actually pull out the insight. Mm -hmm. And again, that also takes having the right skill set that understands digital and how to translate information. So I think there's an opportunity there for all of us uh, between public and private partnerships to come together because I think this even goes down to the skill sets that we're churning out of our universities, right? Mm -hmm. Are we prepared for a digital economy? Mm -hmm. Are are there data scientists being churned out of universities? Mm -hmm. Sitting here, I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. But if we're not preparing ourselves right from, you know, our curriculums, education, then the institutions doing their part in terms of curriculums, Mm -hmm. government doing its part to actually ensure that we have the right infrastructure Mm -hmm. then those two are not yet going to be coming not technology and data will will not still be able to optimize Mm -hmm. um, data but certainly you know you can see that everyone has their head or or stake in the game Mm -hmm. and there's efforts uh, being put and being driven towards it which is which is really encouraging yeah 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, um, skills, what skills are required and so on. Um, I'd love, you know, for you, Grace, to tell us, you know, what are some of the skills of the future that marketers should start building um, in this age of digital commerce and e-commerce? I would say we don't have to wait for the future. We start now uh, as players in the e-commerce. Mm-hmm. One, we have, uh, in, especially in our market, the highest uh, adoption or availability of mobile devices. So whenever we are building our applications, uh, we have to think of mobile first role in product design because I uh, would say 99% of people now are accessing our solutions or application on their mobile. So we have to ensure that whatever we are churning out whatever our developers our developers are working on adheres to mobile first another thing is how we market our content mm-hmm. how are we doing advertisement nowadays people are all about reels if you post a photo you'll get uh, the impressions will be low compared to doing a reel mm-hmm. so also how we market what we are doing is the baba ebl s copy how we are marketing to these consumers make it very engaging so it comes to down now to engaging and pushing our content through videos. Another thing which comes back to how we develop these applications is thinking of the consumer journey, the user experience, mm-hmm. how this will uh, determine how long the consumer stays on your website. Do you need them to come back? Mm-hmm. So the journey has to be very seamless. So even before you start marketing your platform, uh, you're launching that new website, that new app, think of the user journey. Mm -hmm. Would you go through the same steps that you have developed for the consumer to go through before checkout? So let's all think of having mobile first role in the first process Mm -hmm. of designing our applications and our solutions. I think you've touched on quite a few different um, skills and professions, you know, data scientists, mobile developers, app developers, UX researchers, um, digital marketers. So quite a broad array of strength of uh, skills and strengths required to flourish in this digital commerce thank you so much ladies for um your insights uh, this afternoon yes um now we'll transition to our quick fire session <laughs> to close off our episode thank you thank, thank you for your it's been an much. absolute pleasure thank you thank, thank you, you.